London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome to the London Property Podcast. I'm your host, Farnaz, and today we're in conversation with Matt Smith and Chris Erickson, who have uh, joined forces to put 40 years of experience along the river and other prime locations in London to good use. Hi there. Hi there. So tell us a little bit about uh, why your expertise matter to us today along the river. Well, the river has changed considerably over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, and um, both Chris and myself um, have, uh, have worked on the river for a, a number of those years. Um, I think people don't quite understand just how different the river can be um, from what it offers. Um, there's so many different types of property along the Thames um, and each, each area of the Thames has different values, different communities and a completely different environment. No, I agree. And it also comes down to demographics. Um, you know, 10 years ago, it was very difficult to get people crossing from the north side of the river to the south side of the river. Um, there was a bit of a stigma on coming across that river. And nowadays, that's far gone. Um, as Matt said, each development offers so much more now than it used to in terms of communities, in terms of offerings, the amenities, the lifestyle. It's modern living, um, which London is starting to get used to, and the real offerings for that type of living is on the river. When when we first started um, selling and renting property on the river, um, there was very little to choose from. You know, there were a certain number of buildings that people knew, um, and um, they were the very pinnacle in modern living, really, in London. You know, there was that was where the available land was, and people, uh, developers, um, put up a handful of buildings and that was really all there was to offer um, but in the last 10 years there are literally thousands of more uh, riverside flats to choose from um, and that's just in this area alone where we're sitting right now which is in SW11 in Battersea um, one of the most famous uh, places of course Battersea Power Station and the area along Nine Elms and um, Albert Embankment has been completely transformed um, and um, that is uh, effectively a new area of London. I think we all saw just uh, yesterday Sadiq Khan uh, opening the new tube station um, at Battersea Power Station in Nine Arms. Um, and I think that's also something that has been difficult transport-wise along the river, whereas there's now more train stations and now two new tube stations. Yeah, I think that's a game changer, isn't it? Having having the underground on, on the south side of the river. So if we go back historically, would we say that Chelsea Harbour was probably where it started? And that was like the most iconic development. Yeah. And then, you know, in 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 keeping with uh, us being the home of Super Prime, I guess the the prime prime uh, real estate is is really between Battersea Bridge and and Albert Bridge or would you say a bit further? You could probably go to Chelsea Bridge and include Chelsea Bridge Wharf, which is quite an established development, uh, which now also backs on to Vista, which is Barclays latest offering, um, along with the Prince of Wales Drive. But I think from Chelsea Bridge to Battersea Bridge, that was the sort of where the majority of interest for people coming to London who were looking on the river. Anywhere sort of further west or east, it was a tougher sale uh, to convince people to go to. Yeah, and, and certainly I would say that that between those bridges is probably the most prime riverside properties available. If we're talking about traditional prime central London and what you can get that's on the river 
in your sort of more traditional areas. But the some of the bigger agents like Knight, Frank and Savills, um, many years ago redefined a lot of areas along the river as prime central London, taking in, um, for example, the South Bank, places like One Tower Bridge, One Blackfriars, the Chelsea Waterfront, um, uh, Lots Road Power Station redevelopment. Because if you're talking about pounds per square foot, they're very much in a prime bracket, if not necessarily the traditional prime location. And actually talking about uh, the uh, Lots Road development, that's also, you keep your kids in Chelsea permit with that one too as well, don't you? So that's a, that's a Hong Kong developer that's done that one and there's some very special properties there. And That's right, Hutchinson and Po are the developers. I mean, interestingly enough, I believe half the development is still in Kensington and Chelsea and the other half is in Hammersmith and Fulham. It's um, Chelsea Creek itself is the actual um, uh, uh, neighbourhood divide. Um, but um, a lot of, you know, when you, when you buy a new build development, sometimes, very often actually, you can't, you can't keep your Kensington and Chelsea parking permit because part of the planning, um, part of the planning uh, permissions um, you know, were, 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 were very explicit because there were just going to be so many hundreds of more properties that they were too worried about traffic. Yes, yeah, so especially when you do change of use, you're not allowed to then also issue parking permits to the residents. That's right. And then some of these uh, developments are actually becoming kind of a destination to go to. I mean, I know that there's lots of fun things happening around Battersea Power Station, for mm. example, and there they've got, what, 7,000 units that they're building over the phase period? Yeah, I think it is. It's uh, Yeah, there's, there's not an exact number on it simply because a lot of what was uh, sown for residential living um, may be turned into commercial, but then, of course, the pandemic has changed things a bit. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, up to 7,000. I think 4,000 apartments have gone through planning, uh, of which about half of that is complete at the moment. But you, you're right, Batsy Power Station, I think, is one of the sort of most iconic uh, Riverside destinations now. Oh, you know, what a destination. I mean, they really do put on a show, don't they? They do. I mean, and the restaurants and bars, amenities. I mean, we've been talking, Matt and I have been saying this for 10 years, that, you know, come to the river, you know, it's changing. There are more offerings, etc. Um, and you see it, but it, it's an organic approach. And it takes a while for, you know, your Bailey and Sage and your Gales and your Gordon Ramses to come to the area. But Batsy Power Station, they went full throttle from day one mm. and put everyone in there. And uh, Matt and I have been lucky enough to do full tours um, before, after, to see what the shopping centre inside is going to look like. And, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It is amazing, yeah. yeah. With Apple going in there, as everybody knows, um, taking, I can't remember how much, a lot of space over several floors in the actual power station building um, with a phenomenal space. Um, and um, I think we've eaten at just about every restaurant in there, yeah. all part of market research, of course. And I guess also with, with, with people like Apple and also all the embassies moving south, then you're getting a lot of demand for rental properties as well. Absolutely. I mean, this year we've been tremendously busy with rentals. It's, you, you, it, it, was, it was very slow during that uh, sort of the peak of the pand pandemic, but um, the floodgates have definitely opened and they are incredibly popular for rent. So popular. Um, people just love the idea of living in these modern flats and having a swimming pool. And I mean, if you look at the Embassy Garden swimming pool, I think everyone has been talking about that where you can swim from one building to the other. 
Yeah, I think um, I'd be petrified of that. Yeah. <laughs> what floor is that on? Gosh, I don't even know. No, I think I think it's twelfth or thirteenth floor. It's the highest highest floor yeah. on that particular. It's like a water bridge from one floor. to the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I would be petrified of that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then some of the great views you get. I remember in in my youth, Parliament View was like yeah. the only reason to go that far down. That's it. That's exactly what I was saying earlier. You know, there was just a handful of buildings that, if you wanted to have a view of the House of Parliament, it was Parliament View. Uh, you know, where you can now actually get that from a number of other places. Um, and I was going to say, uh, sorry, Matt, I was just going to add to that, that London is quite unique in that respect with regards to its river because it meanders. So I remember that when I first joined Matt and his team at Nye Frank um, all those years ago, it took me a while to find my orientation because I was aware of where I was, but when I was looking out the window, I couldn't see the landmarks that I thought I was going to see because of the meandering river, which means that there's not one development along the river that has the exact same view, which isn't true if you go to Dublin or New York or other cities with, with sort of big river frontage. You have the same sort of view just further down or further up the river, whilst here it changes completely. And we've got some uh, amazing architects that have, have made some landmark buildings on, along the river. I mean, you know, Richard Rogers and Norman Foster being, you know, amongst the top there. How, yeah. how about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 those two are uh, in permanent competition. <laughs> I mean, the, the building that we're sitting in now is um, Albion Riverside. Um, that's one of the most iconic looking on the river. That's Norman Foster. Um, uh, another favourite of ours, Montevetro, um, which is 200 yards down the road there. That's Richard Rogers. Um, and they've done a number of other buildings. Um, they certainly have a similar, uh, a, a, a distinct style each. Um, and they're having a big, a big name um, architects, I think, does make a big difference as well to a building. And then amenities you've got, well, I know the Montevetro has got a tennis court and yeah. a gym, doesn't yeah. have a swimming pool. It doesn't have a swimming pool. And then the one we're in has a swimming pool and a garden. That's right, yeah. So what, what, what are the most unusual amenities of some of the newer buildings that you can find? Well, I mean, certainly uh, the swimming pool where you can swim from one building to another in Embassy Gardens, that's definitely up there. I mean, we've seen snow rooms, We've seen wine cellars, yeah, wine, saunas, yeah. conference rooms. The interesting thing regarding amenities is that I think it was accepted 10 years ago to either have a tennis court or a swimming pool. And that was it, along with 24-hour concierge and underground parking. But when Nine Elms started redeveloping their area, every single building was trying to outperform the building before it which means that the amenities were starting to become sort of mind-boggling, almost crazy to some extent, in terms of golf simulators and all these sort of things. Residence cocktail lounge, yeah. residence restaurant, conference facilities, right. games rooms, uh, temp and bowling alleys, um, yeah, as you said, virtual golf. I mean, there's just, it's unbelievable, actually. Uh, and um, I wonder uh, how many people use all of these facilities, but they certainly help to get the prices that the developers want to get because it gives you something, you know, extra to sell other than the property itself. And I think where they really do come into their own is not for the person buying the 10 to 15 million pound penthouse, but it's really the person who's buying the 800,000 pound one bed, um, which is only 500 square feet. They will go and use those facilities. They will be able to entertain their friends in the games rooms and the residence lounges and the, and the theatres and you know, hiring the cinema room, etc. So I think for those buyers, um, there's a definite value. Well, also, I think we're going into an era where uh, sort of lifestyle being attached to residential developments is becoming much more of a thing than it used to be yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And I know that further down, um, an American uh, 
build-to-rent operator actually bought into Vauxhall. I think they bought 550 units of Barrett Homes. That's right. So these guys then actually make some of their income from that lifestyle that they provide to their residents. So if they've got 500 units, then they can afford to have, you know, the cooking studios or the yeah. yoga studios or the running tracks on the roof and yeah. things like that. So I think it's it's probably going to become an expectation. Definitely. definitely. And very much so. I think yeah. we spoke to a, a potential buyer this morning, funny enough, and we were talking about service charges because, of course, none of these amenities come for free. You do pay for them to some degree. Um, and we were talking about a building in, in Hyde Park and it has no amenities, just a concierge. And she was sort of shocked about that. Just a concierge, no swimming pool, no gardens, no, no golf simulators. And I think we're, you know, and she was um, an elderly lady. And I thought, interesting observation that it's only taken a 10-year period for people to sort of get so used to the idea of having this inside the buildings. Um, so we, I think we're definitely seeing a shift towards it. And also along with working from home being a much more sort of current topic, people are starting to use these facilities. Um, it's not just for show. Yeah. And wanting light and views. So yeah. being on the river and working from home is a lot more pleasant. Definitely a more in inspirational flat. Yeah, exactly. A more inspirational space for sure. Yeah. And also, you know what, what's um, lateral living has been a big deal. You know, this is a this this is a flat that we're sitting in now. It's not a massive flat, but it's a really decent size, a 1400 square feet, two bedroom flat where we've sold houses over three floors that are smaller than this. You know, so it's, it's actually much better to have uh, your space on one level. And that's what also has been offered but I think that's really changed how people buy expensive property anyway in London where people have really moved away from houses over four and five floors to ideally being in a lateral or maybe two or three floors tops. Um, I used to joke with my sister and say we could always buy a second home like you know somewhere in E14 and then just go spend the weekends there because there's so many different characteristics right so if you're talking about hustle and bustle like around Tower Bridge and New Bankside can you just talk, tell us about that I mean things happen there at night what type of people actually go to these destinations it's, it's a very different demographic um, than there is here this is much more second residence or more established living. And, and when I say here, you know, for, for the purpose of your listeners, we're referring to sort of Batsy Bridge up to Chelsea Bridge. When you go further east down towards the South Bank and Albert Embankment, it's, it's a city vibe, which is a completely different vibe as well. Um, it's a younger vibe. There's more amenities in terms of the local community. It's busier. And I mean, some of the views, that you, if you're lucky enough to be able to live there, onto St. Paul's and onto the city are absolutely breathtaking. Um, um, spectacular. Yeah, and there's definitely a nightlife. I mean, there is a huge amount of, of uh, restaurants and bars and um, there's a real vibrancy there. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in some cases, too much. You know, you're trying to sell somebody a property and they're like, oh, well, there's just too many tourists here. You know, so you've got to like the hustle and bustle because it is rampant for the tourists because there's so much to see. Um, but what a fantastic place to live. I, mean, I remember we sold a, a penthouse on Clink Wharf on Clink Street a few years ago, which was, you know, the entrance to a 10 million pound uh, penthouse was just a steel door on a sort of almost what looked like a back street of the of what used to be the docks yeah, and cool. I just loved it and you had this incredible 6,000 square foot lateral apartment that no one would even know was there and it was right smack in the middle of tourist central and you walk out your door and there was just people everywhere uh, so it was a completely different feel to most other things yeah I think I that think that, that particular so wharf if you want to call it that but that 
type of that area of London. That's where the real hidden gems are. Yeah. You know, here it's quite obvious that as we're sitting on the on the sixth floor, if you go to the top, you can see the double height duplex penthouses. But you go to areas like Clink Wharf or Sugar Key or whatever it might be, you you never know that behind that steel door is a ten million pound apartment. That's absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. And also the proximity. Again, I mean, here we're ten minutes to cross the bridge, and we're in Chelsea, uh, and we can benefit from all the amenities. When you're in South Bank, you're only 10, 15 minutes away from the Strand. Common Garden, you know, we can see the, the Piccadilly Circus from some of the apartments. So you're very, very close. So you can go to the theatre, go and have dinner and then cross over, come back to your apartment and enjoy the views that the North offers, um, all in a secure, safe environment. It's amazing, you know, when we sometimes go to sell um, or rent properties in, in the towers, because there's a lot of very tall buildings around now, and you realise just how small London actually is when you talk about seeing Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. And you think, wow, that Piccadilly Circus is just over there. And also actually now traveling, uh, you know, if you, if you do live on the river, traveling on the river is, is, is becoming a lot easier to, to maneuver. We were on a boat, uh, for a party for, for our launch party a couple of weeks ago and we kept seeing these Uber boats everywhere. That's right. And they're just nonstop going up and down. So actually, you know, hopping on a boat in Chelsea and getting off at work in, you know, Docklands is actually not going to be such a big deal. Absolutely. And a lot more pleasant way of getting to work too. Very much so. The Thames Clipper, I mean, we, we've got quite a few clients that we've amassed over the years who take the Thames Clipper to work. Um, and um, there's been, in the last few years, there's been probably three or four new um, piers uh, added to the route. So, yeah, I mean, what a great way to get to work in the city. Yeah. You know, you jump on your, 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 your Thames Clipper at Cadogan Pier and get off at Blackfriars or something. I mean, that's... Ideal, and you can have a glass of wine on the way back to have a bar. <laughs> and that actually, Cadogan Pier, talking of which, is actually private, isn't it? All of that is privately owned. Cadogan Pier has a, uh, a Thames Clipper stop, but um, the pier itself is privately owned, um, and um, the owners uh, sell um, houseboats or, or leases for houseboats for a certain amount of years. Yeah, there's some really beautiful ones there. Back there. Are, yeah. We've been lucky yeah. enough to yeah. sell some We've of them. So, so yeah. what do those go for? Well, they range. I think we sold one for two million a few years ago. Um, they just tend to. I mean, I think that's probably the most expensive one we sold, but they're somewhere between one and two million generally. And what people just stay put with them, or they actually? Yeah, go you'd up buy a down. lease for like fifty years. You'd know you tend not to travel. There, there are, most of them tend not to have engines. They need to be tugged to wherever they're going to go. Okay. Um, although some have engines, but that that's a it's a residential mooring, um, but it's you know for a certain amount of years. Right, and it's the same thing with the the further down by the embankment. Yeah. Okay. Um, And what about roof terraces? So some of them have some some incredible roof terraces, I imagine. Yes, absolutely. I I I always, um, when people are looking for a roof terrace, I often think of St. George Wharf, which is another one of the kind of original uh, riverside, well, not so much original like Chelsea Harbour, but one of the more traditional these days developments have phenomenal roof terraces with views towards the London Eye and Houses of Parliament or or or, or with a west-facing aspect, you get loads of sun. Um, That's I think Battersea Reach as well, which is also a St. George development down towards Wandsworth Bridge, also has huge roof terraces. Well, it's yeah. got big roof terraces. It's, it's becoming harder and harder because the buildings are becoming taller and taller. And then, of course, it's difficult to put a roof terrace uh, or, or even balconies on these buildings as they amass a certain height. Um, but uh, yeah, Battersea Reach for sure, St. George Wharf. And then you have to go further into the city where we talked about earlier, South Bank and, and so forth. 
So you must be the right people to ask about what else to do for fun on the river. I noticed the Thames <laughs> rockets; those look quite quite fun. Have you seen the the red uh, dinghies that yeah. zip up and down? And I think you know as you as you as you go down the river, you see sort of the Globe Theatre and all the things yeah. that you forget about actually using. Mm. Is there any other hidden gems well, that I, you've come I, across I, I that you can share? I highly recommend going on the duck tours. I think they're still called duck tours, um, which are on them adapted uh, landing. What would you call them? Landing because when they were, you know, like in D-Day landings, when you used to, used to drive these things off the ship and onto the shore, they converted those. Um, and you, so you, you drive around London doing your sort of on the street tour, and then they drive into the river. Oh yes, I think I've seen the river those. Tour. They're yeah. brilliant fun. The, the speedboats are also a lot of fun. Um, I know my uh, my nephews went on it recently and they just couldn't get enough of it going up and down the Thames at 40 knots an hour. And obviously you've got all the great restaurants, Butler's Wharf and, and the likes. So many, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's more and more along the river, especially especially further east towards South Bank area. I mean, there's any, any number of the big chain restaurants and there's lots of small independents as well. Uh, we, 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 like, we like a lunch, so we, 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 we normally find um, some good places to eat. <laughs> uh, Matt, Chris, thank you very much for your time. That was very uh, enjoyable and interesting uh, chat about how the river is coming back to life over the past 10, 15 years. Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to londonproperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.